Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Learn about upcoming apologetics events, our podcast, and much more when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 about what it means to be a servant of Christ and a steward of the faith. The one requirement of a steward is that they be found what? Faithful or trustworthy. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what the Lord requires of you is to do justly. It's to love mercy. It's to walk humbly with your God. Paul says, I've been given a trust. And the one demand on my life is to be faithful to it. I cannot bunt when I should take a full swing with the Gospel. I cannot water down the Word of God when I know within the Word of God is inherent power of God. I cannot come up to a pulpit and tell stories and anecdotes when I know the power is in the Word. And the trust that's been given to me in ordination vows that I took many years ago is to be faithful to the Gospel. No matter who my audience may be. Whether I'm at a memorial service or preaching to people in a park or at a family dinner, I have been given a trust. And so have you. The church guards the treasure of the Gospel. I read a letter that was submitted to a prominent theologian, William Lane Craig. It's about a year ago. A man writing from Switzerland. He said, Dr. Craig, my church is corrupt and bankrupt. My pastor no longer believes in the Bible. My pastor no longer believes in the historic Christian faith. In fact, from the pulpit, he mocks historic Christianity. This is a church that I have invested my life in. I have served in. I have prayed for. I have pleaded with the leadership. They deny pretty much every essential doctrine of the historic Christian faith. What do I do now? Where do I go? My pastor doesn't even believe the Bible anymore. This was written from a man a year ago who lives in Switzerland. His church no longer believes in the Scripture. Denies the Gospel. What do you do now? Some years ago, I heard a woman call an apologetics program. It was Greg Kokel. And the woman said, my church has become seeker-sensitive, is the way she put it. She said, from the pulpit, they don't really preach the Word of God anymore. There's a lot of stories and entertainment. A lot of lots directed at, at the unbeliever and the unchurched. And she, she basically said, I'm starving for the Word of God. But I do believe, she said, I can be a change agent in my church. And so I'm praying for the leadership and I'm trying to approach them to plead with them to give us the meat instead of the milk. And so Greg said, well, let me ask you a question. So you're basically seeing yourself as a missionary to your own church and to your own leadership. Let me ask you a question. Are you supposed to be equipping your leadership or are they supposed to be equipping you? Should you be a missionary to your church 
Or should they be equipping you to be a missionary to the world? Look, I understand the dilemma, especially if you've been in a place a long time and you've kind of watched it, you know, go off. What do you do? It's a difficult question and there's a lot of factors in it. And Greg wisely responded this way. He said, look, there's nothing wrong with churches being seeker-sensitive. Every church should be seeker-sensitive. If, if a seeker comes through these doors, what will we do? We'll love them. We'll preach the gospel to them. We want them to come to Christ. We did the Harvest Fest because we are sensitive to seekers. But he said the problem is not seeker-sensitivity. The problem is seeker-centeredness. He said when churches embrace this, they become not seeker-sensitive, but seeker-centered in that they do everything for the seeker. And if you as a Christian say, Pastor, please preach the Word of God. I want to grow. They say to you, oh, you need to get over that. Because we're all here so the seeker can feel comfortable. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Usually when the church gathers on a Sunday morning, 95% of us who come through the doors already know Christ. Or we already know the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do we need now? We need meat, not milk. We can have other contexts for the basics class and Bible studies for that. But you guys all know what I'm saying. The church has been given a stewardship. And the one thing that we need to do is to be found faithful. The overseer, Titus 1.7, must be above reproach as God's steward. He goes on, Titus 1.9, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching that he may be able to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict it. The NIV says, Titus 1.9, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. The early church, Paul had to write a lot of letters to the early church because they were compromising the gospel because the gospel was being watered down. We have a stewardship. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a special gift, employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 1 Peter 4.10. Look at verse 3. But to me, says Paul, it's a very small thing that I should be examined by you or by any, uh, any human court. The super apostles, so-called, in the Corinthian congregation were mocking Paul. They said he is weak. They said he's not a good speaker. They said he lacks courage. They, they were firing arrows at Paul, poor Paul all the time. And if it were me, it's hard to take criticism for any of us. But the Apostle Paul says it's a very small thing that I'm examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. Wow. Paul contrasts his attitude to that of the Corinthians. They lived and died with human judgments. Wilson says, this does not mean that Paul was not hurt by their criticism, but he was not moved by it. Brothers and sisters, we live in an age today where criticism, critical attitudes, whether it's magazines, radio programs, uh, television programs, you name it, are all built around critical attitudes and criticism of people. I remember one time I was, uh, I think I was getting my hair cut and the, the lady had a program, it was in the morning, and it was these people, and all they did was talk about the latest gossip. And then the next story is, oh, you wouldn't believe this. 
so-and-so was found on the beach with so-and-so in a bathing suit that they shouldn't have been wearing because they're not really in shape right now. And, oh, look at these pictures. And, oh, did you hear the latest about this? And then the people in the audience are like, whoop, 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 whoop. And I'm, and I'm like, what's with the whoop, whoop? And what's this? And it was like seven stories in a row. Basically, trying to destroy people's reputation. And then, oh, you want, and then the next one, and, and wait, we're going to take a commercial break, but next is this one. And they show a picture of somebody, you know. <laughs> whoop, whoop. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm watching this thinking, is this what people do who don't have jobs during the day? No wonder our society's so messed up. But then I started thinking about how well I do with criticism. Have you ever uh, read an article on the internet and you're just curious about people's comments? You know, social media has created this whole world now where everybody can make comments on just about anything. So you can read an article on something and then you say, there's 172 comments on this and so-and-so said, thumbs down and so-and-so, well, and so-and-so, yeah. And, and everybody's got, and then have you ever watched people going back and forth on social media in the comment section? Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You're out to lunch and you went with, let me tell you something else. And, they, and you get kind of engaged and you're like, wow, look at these people fight. This is like a cat fight online. This is... But it's okay if you're removed from it, if it has nothing to do with you. But have you ever had a situation where you were the subject matter? Oh, it changes things. There was a pastor in Texas. He said uh, he was watching a program, I think it was a television program, and they were talking about you know, how this particular pastor in Texas you know, he, here, here's how he comes across against this particular lifestyle. And I think you know what I'm talking about. And so he was like, wow, boy, they're painting this guy terribly. And then he said a little, the program went a little bit more and it was him. That's, this is how they were painting him. And he was like, whoa. You see, it's one thing to be in the stands when someone else is taking the punches and bleeding. And you, you can make some comments like, you know, they should really fix that. They should really repair that. But it's another thing when you're taking the shots in the ring. And that was Paul. He had planted the church, brought the gospel to Corinth. Not an easy place to preach or to plant a church. And what did he get for it? A bunch of people being hypercritical. And so Paul says, I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. By the way, verse 4 does not eliminate heart-searching self-scrutiny to be more effective in service, but it anticipates that the Lord's verdict on that day is all that really matters. And Paul says, look, I, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't acquit me just because I have a clear conscience and I can sleep at night. What really matters is what the Lord will say of my work on that day, even if I feel like I'm okay. I can convince myself Hi, this is Mike Massaro, and I just wanted to invite you out to our special 633 service on November 10th, starting at, you guessed it, 
633. We're going to be talking to Natasha Crane, who has written a book called Talking With Your Kids About God. The topic that night is going to be teaching your kids and college students apologetics. So for all you parents, or if you're planning on having kids, or if you have grandkids, this would be a great night for you to attend. If you need more information, go to walkintruth.com and click on events. That's walkintruth.com events. You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe to the Walk in Truth podcast, available on your favorite podcast app. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Have you ever uh, read an article on the internet and you're just curious about people's comments? You know, social media has created this whole world now where everybody can make comments on just about anything. So you can read an article on something and then you say, there's 172 comments on this and so-and-so said, thumbs down and so-and-so, well, and so-and-so, yeah. And, and everybody's got, and then have you ever watched people going back and forth on social media in the comment section? Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You're out to lunch and you went with, let me tell you something else. And, they, and you get kind of engaged and you're like, wow, look at these people fight. This is like a cat fight online. This is... But it's okay if you're removed from it, if it has nothing to do with you. But have you ever had a situation where you were the subject matter? Oh, it changes things. There was a pastor in Texas. He said uh, he was watching a program, I think it was a television program, and they were talking about you know, how this particular pastor in Texas you know, he, here, here's how he comes across against this particular lifestyle. And I think you know what I'm talking about. And so he was like, wow, boy, they're painting this guy terribly. And then he said a little, the program went a little bit more and it was him. That's, this is how they were painting him. And he was like, whoa. You see, it's one thing to be in the stands when someone else is taking the punches and bleeding. And you, you can make some comments like, you know, they should really fix that. They should really repair that. But it's another thing when you're taking the shots in the ring. And that was Paul. He had planted the church, brought the gospel to Corinth. Not an easy place to preach or to plant a church. And what did he get for it? A bunch of people being hypercritical. And so Paul says, I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. By the way, verse 4 does not eliminate heart-searching self-scrutiny to be more effective in service, but it anticipates that the Lord's verdict on that day is all that really matters. And Paul says, look, I, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't acquit me just because I have a clear conscience and I can sleep at night. What really matters is what the Lord will say of my work on that day. Even if I feel like I'm okay, I can convince myself 
But what really matters is what the Lord will say on that day. Therefore, in light of this, Corinthian church or Coronites, as it were, do not go passing, go on passing judgment, verse 5, before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will bring, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose, here's a scary verse, the motives of men's hearts. And then here's the good news. Each man's praise literally speaks of commendation or applause will come to him from God. Paul is not saying not to judge because in the next chapter, he's going to say he judged a man already in the church who committed terrible sexual sin. But Paul's saying don't jump to conclusions about the work of the ministry and think that you know everybody's motives because you don't. The Lord will work that out. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. And as we talked about last time, we want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. Now these things, verse 6, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes that in us you might learn not to exceed or go beyond what is written. Very important that you mark that. We can't exceed what is written. What we know from God is what is written in order that no one of you might become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. Brethren, I'm applying these images to you of farming and architecture and under rowers and stewards because I want you to anchor your judgments in the Word. Don't go beyond what is written because that's really all we have. For who regards you as superior? Verse 7 ESV, who sees anything different in you? And what do you have that you did not receive? But if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Do you know that your very breath right now is a gift from God? He holds your life breath in His hands. But we live in a world where arrogant displays of I'm all that and a bag of chips is rampant. And there's, there's some of that that appeals to us, right? Some arrogance, some self-confidence that we see can be attractive. And I'll let you work out you know, how, you, how you measure all of that. We want to have a good amount of confidence, but we don't want to be overconfident. We don't want to be arrogant. We want to have our confidence in the Lord. How do we find that balance? I think a lot of it in fact, I think all of it has to do with your identity in Christ. Here's a, a commentary by Um, and he comments on this whole evaluation thing, how people evaluate. He goes, none of us is immune. Everybody's a critic. We evaluate athletes, coaches, films, food, restaurants, news anchors. We can watch a news report or video and be swayed by comments in the section below as I describe. We talk to friends about what other friends post on social media profiles. There are those that we look up to and those that we look down on. We're also prone to evaluating ourselves and paradoxically holding, hold intention and overinflated evaluation of ourselves and a gnawing suspicion that we don't measure up in the eyes of others. Evaluation is brutally cynical. We evaluate and overanalyze others but the scrutiny to which we subject others is not something we ourselves can bear. 
We can end up being paralyzed by other people's judgments of us. Your life is not about being defined by snapshots or sound bites. It is about a picture of God's grace poured out to us in Jesus Christ. Think about it. Think about how many of our young people are living and dying with criticism on social media. Think about how many of us live and die if a friend has an issue with one area of our lives. Or we made a statement, and maybe that statement was based upon biblical truth, but we can't handle the fallout of it because somebody's mad at us. Look, this is so much of the human dilemma, and I think especially in today's day and age that we have to get over, but it's hard to get over it because it's our humanity. I think all of us want to be okay with people around us. But Paul is basically saying, look, you guys are doing all this evaluating. You live and die with evaluations. You live and die with when someone speaks how impressed you are with their philosophical rhetoric. But you've missed the substance of who people are. We live, our world is a theater of God's common grace. Humans are made in the image of God. How easily we can push them aside. How easily, look, we can do this, we can look at an unbeliever and we can easily dismiss them though common grace has been poured out on them. The sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. They are a person we want to, to uh, lead to Christ. We want to pray for them. But we can so easily dismiss people almost as if it is nothing. And we can do that even with those who we're supposed to love the best. This is our world. And Paul, when he admonishes the Corinthian church, is saying, this is not how you live. If your existence is defined by this garbage, you need to rethink your whole worldview. Because that is not life. We have young people committing suicide based upon the reaction they get on their posts or how their friends see them in these kinds of channels and lanes. You guys know what I'm saying. And Paul's saying, look, this has to stop. We cannot be this way and be spiritual. This is not true biblical love, which we'll read about in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul, in essence, is saying, what makes you think that you're all that? And a side of fries. <laughs> I just added that. I just made that up. Do you guys like that more than a bag of chips? I, I, don't, I don't even know where the bag of chips thing came from. But. That could be it. I didn't have my donut. That's the problem. And so what we really need is a humble self-evaluation of ourselves and others. And I know some of you who are here today, you know, maybe you're thinking to yourself, man, all I do is beat myself up. I don't have some vaunted uh, self-evaluation. I, I live with trying to deal with who I am. I understand that. Some years ago, someone said to me, Michael, you need to give yourself the same grace that you preach to others. Because we can be hard on ourselves, right? When we don't hit the standards that we think we should. 
But in everything in my life, if I can see it as a gift from God's hand, it will really change my perspective. If I can say, Jesus, You are my foundation, and every gift that I have is from You, it will bring an automatic humility to my life and to your life. The meek man is not a human mouse afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. Rather, he may be in his moral life as bold as a lion, as strong as Samson. But he has stopped being fooled about himself. This is A.W. Tozer. He has accepted God's estimate of his own life. He knows he is weak and helpless as God declared him to be. But paradoxically, he knows that at the same time, he is in the sight of God of more importance than angels. In himself, nothing. In God, everything. This is his motto, close quote. Or as John the Baptist put it, a man can receive nothing unless it had been first given to him from heaven. He must increase. I must decrease. You're listening to Walk in Truth with Pastor Michael Lance, and that was part two of his teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 called Servants and Stewards. Please remember, we're a listener-supported ministry. Walk in Truth has some big plans to have more events in 2020, like the one in a little over a week with Natasha Crane. Please do your end-of-the-year giving at walkintruth.com. And if you're thinking someone else will, that someone might be you. Please give what you can at walkintruth.com. Now, tune in tomorrow for the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 about what it means to be a servant of Christ and a steward of the faith. I'm Mike Massaro, and as always, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.